Good morning. Morning. Um, it's great to see you. My name is Stu. If we haven't met before, I'm part of the team here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. Thanks, Gareth. Morning to you too. Um, big fan over there. Um, it's great to see you. Hopefully you feel really welcome amongst us, particularly if this is uh, your first Sunday um, with us at the vineyard. I love this time of year, right? Yeah? yeah. Chris, give that a wee, give the tambourine a wee shake there. Christmas. There we go. Amazing. Um, I, I just love it. Our Emma and I put our tree up last night. Um, anybody not put their tree up yet? One guy. Two. When, when are you putting yours up? <laughs> Ask your mum. Regina, when, when's the tree going up? Um, I, we put our tree last night, like up last night. It was amazing. I love just that kind of the whole festivities that go around the tree putting up thing, kind of getting all the boxes down, like clearing off all the dust. Uh, bit of mulled wine, sticking on some Christmas music. They're, like Michael Buble is barred from our house. There's none of that boob. Yes, we're talking Sinatra, Dean Martin. We're going for the classics. No Buble. Buble must be barred, all right? Um, is that just me? No? Okay. You can, you can fight about that later. Um, I do love this time of year. You know, there's going to be parties for hosting and marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow and scary ghost stories, even though that's weird, that's Halloween, right? And tales of the glories of Christmas is long, long ago. It is the most wonderful time of the year, right? It is. I just, I just love this time of year. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dean Martin there for you. No, Michael Bublé. Um, what I also do love about this time of year is this is an invitation for us as the people of God to see the next few weeks, even though they may seem really, really busy and frantic and there's a lot of stuff going on, actually this is an invitation for us to slow right down and to wait and to be still, to see that Advent actually is a season that is full of longing. Um, Every day we're opening up our emails to um, a set of readings and prayers, but we are beginning our days with this Advent prayer, Come, Lord Jesus. And on Sundays, as we gather and as we scatter out of this place into our homes, into our workplaces, we're wanting to create some space in our days to truly reflect on Advent, to look back to 2018 years ago, whenever the Lord came amongst us, this great God who found himself in a manger. We're looking ahead to the future advent, the final coming together of heaven and earth, and yet also in these moments as we wait, we are also still full of longing, longing for the Lord to come, his kingdom to come amongst us, amongst our families, our friends, our work colleagues, our city, and this region. Advent allows us to enter into a season that's actually really, really deep and very, very rich. A season whenever we're able to see that what's going around us in the world, actually we can live in a very, very different way. We can be formed and we can be shaped into the likeness of the Prince of Peace, allowing us to live in a different way to what is going on all around us. In Advent, we want to invite you to slow down and to wait And to open yourselves up to the possibility that once again, hope and peace and joy and love can take hold of your heart once again. What if, over the course of the next couple of weeks and into the new year, we intentionally slow down, we intentionally embrace the season that is all about formation, allowing the culture of the kingdom to form our hearts once again? If we did that, I truly believe that 2019 could be, could be the most fruitful year for us, for our families, 
for our church and for our city. If we take a few moments to slow ourselves down and allow our hearts to be formed and to be changed once again. At the minute, I don't know about you, but everywhere I look at the minute, I'm just getting bombarded by lists about 2018. Like Spotify released like my top lists of uh, songs that I played this year. You're looking through top book lists and newspapers and everything. We're kind of beginning to reflect upon the year that has just passed. If I had to define 2018 in one word, though, I think it would be fearful. I don't know about you, but whenever we look around and whenever we see what is going around us, I just see fear everywhere. Fear seems to be the trump card that is being played in politics all the time, no pun intended. Conservatives are really fearful that progressives are taking over, and progressives are really fearful that conservatives are having a bit of a resurgence. Bob Woodward's book on Trump fear is one of the best-selling books this year, although I just found out that Michelle Obama's Becoming is just taking over it in the book list, which is amazing, after like two weeks. Look for your stocking fillers, everybody. Um, there's fear over Brexit. We have no clue how the vote is going to go this week in Parliament. I'm speaking to a friend on Friday at dinner, and the implications of Brexit for our homes and for our businesses, for our lives, just it's just unknown. We just have no clue what's going on. And all the while in 2018, I'm still trying to manage my fear of clowns. Like, like clowns are just the weirdest thing, completely terrify me, and I'm constantly just having to deal with that fear of mine. Anyway, the world is charged with what a friend of ours, Mark Sayers, calls ambient anxiety. Everywhere we look, we're just turning around and just seeing these small things that are just making us fearful. And they're building and they're building. There's fear of the unknown. There's fear of the future, fear that is full of uncertainty. And here's the thing. We as the people of God have a sneak preview of the future that is to come. Actually, the future is in session right now. A future where the coming together of heaven and earth will take place. That future city that we are singing about, that we're longing for, there's going to be an aspect of culture in it that is going to be full of peace. We have the ability to have a sneak peek into the future, but also because eternity is in session right now, we get to live in that way in the present. Peace is available right now. We can allow our hearts to be formed and to be shaped in the likeness of the Prince of Peace. Advent creates space, creates space for us more than any time of the year that even in an age that is marked by fear, we can be a people who are marked by peace. Peace marks our future. The question is, though, how can we live in this very different way now? What would it look like for us to be people of peace, even in 2018? And to answer this question, I want to unpack one of my favorite interactions in the whole of the scriptures. It's the interaction between Gabriel and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And as we're going to see throughout uh, this morning, Mary is our guide she is our leader. She is able to lead us um, in the direction of peace. She was, after all, the mother who gave birth to the Prince of Peace. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. It's page 710 in the Black Bibles that are in front of you. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says this. In the sixth month, 
of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Gabriel shows up and appears to Mary. Mary, who was probably 15 or 16 years old. She was a poor peasant girl. And with his opening words, he says to Mary, You are highly favored, and the Lord is with you. Clock those two sentences. As you can imagine, Mary's pretty freaked out. It's not a normal day whenever you're just going about your business and then an angel shows up, all right? That is pretty unusual. She is greatly troubled. She is afraid, Luke records. And Gabriel responds, do not be afraid. You are favored. Gabriel goes on to say that Mary is going to become the mother of the Messiah, the one who the entire nation of Israel were longing for. Mary herself would have been longing in anticipation of the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of the promise of the Old Testament. And Gabriel says, you're going to be the mum of him. Now, Mary's reaction is pretty interesting. Verse 34, how will this be? Mary asked, since I am a virgin. Mary's like, well, slow down here a second, fella. Like, we've got to talk about the biology of this, right? Because I am a virgin, right? How does that actually work? Now, we're straying into mystery and wonder, and we're going to talk about that much more next week. But Gabriel responds by saying, the Holy Spirit is going to descend upon you. He's going to overshadow you. And a supernatural work is going to take place in such a way that the Lord is not just going to be with you, as Gabriel has already said, but actually the Lord is going to be within you. Elizabeth is mentioned just to raise some faith. This woman who was unable to conceive, even in her old age, has become pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Let me pause here. We're in danger, I think, of romanticizing this conversation. Maybe we've already seen it in a nativity play um, over the course of the past number of weeks. Because it's really important to remember what was maybe going on in Mary's head as she was having this conversation with Gabriel. I think the main question that she would have been asking is, what on earth am I going to say to Joseph? What am I going to say to my family? What am I going to say to the people in my village about this conception? What am I going to say to them? In this hyper-religious, Torah-subscribing context, for a young woman, a teenager, to have conceived before wedlock, they would have been considered an adulteress. There would have been a trial. Villagers would have ostracized Mary. They would have seen this baby as an illegitimate child. She would have been forced to have left Joseph behind. And that would have left her poor, alone, and ashamed with little or no support to be able to raise this baby. And with all of these uncertainties, all of these fears swirling around her head, how does she respond? Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I don't think there are any more courageous words in the scriptures, actually. 
And I don't think that these words would have been kind of said Hollywood style, fist pumping, all right, let's do this before a pregnancy montage took place. I think these words wouldn't have been shouted. I think they would have been whispered. They were definitely said with courage and with boldness and with strength. But they were said with peace. I am the Lord's servant. Let your word to me be fulfilled. With the invitation that Mary is receiving to become the mother of Almighty God. And with the backdrop of all of the fears that are swirling around her, she finds herself in this really interesting place at the intersection of destiny but also fear colliding with each other. A place that we find ourselves all of the time. And into that intersection, what does she say? Full of peace, she says, yes, yes. This interaction began with fear. And even with the remarkable destiny that she was invited into, the questions needed to be asked. Yet it ends with her being completely at peace. God inviting her to say a remarkable yes. How on earth was she able to do that? This conversation between Mary and Gabriel reminds me of a moment that would take place 33 and a bit years later. It's Resurrection Sunday, but the apprentices of Jesus don't quite know that yet. They've locked themselves in a room full of fear. They're afraid of the Jewish authorities. They're afraid that they're going to be caught. This rabbi that they've been following for three years was brutally murdered the previous Friday. The future is completely uncertain. They had so many questions. They had so many doubts. There were so many fears that were swirling around their head. And into this room of fear, the resurrected Jesus presences himself. He just appears. Into this room of fear, Jesus shows up. And as Jesus presences himself, he says four words, peace be with you. And the disciples know it's him. They can see the scars. They can see the holes in his hands and in his feet. And despite the fears, despite the uncertainties, he invites them into a remarkable destiny once again. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, he said. I want you to continue what I started. It is now over to you. Yet, they were never to do this alone. He breathes on them as a sign of what was to come on the day of Pentecost. They received his own spirit, the spirit of Jesus himself. He would be with them, but he would also be within them, even to the end of the age. For both Mary and the apprentices of Jesus, they find themselves at this intersection that we face all of the time, destiny and fear. And yet for both of them, they were able to experience peace. And how? Through experiencing the presence of God. Peace comes in the presence of God. There's one thread that runs right the way throughout our story. From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, from garden to garden city, and it is this, it is God's relentless desire to dwell with his people, for the people of God to experience the presence of God. It begins in the garden with Adam and Eve walking about stalkers, and and God is with them, walking around in the cool of the day. It then moves to a tabernacle, a small, I'm going to lift it here, a small box where the presence of God was dwelling, where the Israelites would move it around in the wilderness. It then moved to Jerusalem, 
to a temple where behind a huge veil the Shekinah glory of the Lord enveloped it and filled it. Only one man was able to enter into it on one day every single year. And then from the temple comes a womb, Mary's womb, where for nine months God himself would dwell within her. Then moves to Jesus, the new temple, Emmanuel, God with us, the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then it moves to the church. Jesus releases us to be the new temple of God. And then there's 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, where now our bodies, our actual bodies, the bodies that I am looking at, are now temples of the Holy Spirit. And we are waiting an age after the future advent whenever we're going to find ourselves in a city and there's going to, there isn't going to need to be a temple there because God's dwelling place is going to be with man. Our story, right the way from Genesis to Revelation, from garden to garden city, there is one thread that runs right the way throughout it all. And it is God's relentless desire to be present with his people. For the people of God to experience the presence of God. Let me return back to, I think it was here, to Mary, to Mary's womb. Mary is a bit like a prototype, a bit of a leader, a bit of a forerunner of the life that we get to experience. She hears from the angel who says two things You who are highly favored, like us, and also God is with you, also like us. There is nowhere that we can flee from the presence of God. The scriptures speak of the everywhereness of God being around us. And yet, for nine months, Mary tangibly gets to experience the presence of Jesus dwelling within her. Through her experience of God, both with her and also within her, she is able to live in the way of peace. She is able to say yes to all that God is inviting her into. She's able to say, yes. Here's the thing. We follow Mary. Through Christ's spirit, we get to experience the indwelling presence of God in our bodies. We are now temples of the Holy Spirit. John 14, Jesus is about to release his disciples, but he says this to them first. But the advocate the Holy Spirit, my own spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Jesus promises to tabernacle, to pitch a tent, to build a home in the bodies of the disciples and also to us, that we can become places where God's own spirit dwells within us. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. It's really easy to keep this a kind of a theological, rational head sort of level. But actually, for us to experience the tangible reality of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, that is what this life is all about. It's this presence within us that allows us to live in a way that is so different to the rest of culture around us. 2018 may be a year that is full of fear, but for us as the people of God, we can live a life that is full of peace. Why? Because he is present within us. Jesus goes on to say in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
as we recognize the presence of Jesus, we get to experience peace. Let me put it like this. God is so much closer than you think he is. He is closer than the air that we breathe. He is closer than the clothes that we are wearing. As the materials rub up against your skin, God is closer to you than that. We are right here with him. He is not right here with us. We are right here with him. God doesn't need to be beckoned. He doesn't need to be pulled down from the sky. Our prayers of come Lord Jesus or come Holy Spirit or the song that we sang at the very start, we welcome you with praise. That's got so much more to do with us than it's got to do with him. He is present amongst us. Our bodies are now like temples, places where God dwells. God is always speaking. He is always active. He is always bringing life. He is renewing us into the likeness of Jesus. His presence surrounds us. And he is here. Emmanuel, God with us. And as we become more aware of his presence we become so much more aware of two truths. The same two truths that Gabriel said to Mary. We're highly favored, and the Lord is with us. Couple these things together, that we know exactly who we are, and we know who is with us. There is nothing that we need to fear. There is nothing that we need to fear. Those two truths create pathways for peace in our lives. As we always find ourselves at this interplay, this intersection of our destiny and the fears that surround us, we can open ourselves up and realize the presence of Jesus both with us and within us. Being able to see who we are and be able to see who is with us. We're able to experience peace and we're able to join Mary in living a life of consistently saying yes. Now, all of that's great, right? It's all great at kind of like this sort of level, but what does it look like on the ground? I don't know about you, maybe I'm just not holy enough, but having an awareness of God's presence all of the time isn't really at the forefront of my mind, right? So what does it look like for us to be able to cultivate an awareness of the presence of God wherever we go in whatever day we find ourselves? I want to just mention three things real quick. Firstly, the practice of the presence of God. Spiritual growth is essentially increasing our capacity to experience the presence of God in all of life, every day, in every environment we find ourselves. God is present. We have this tendency as Christians to sometimes create uh, walls or divorces between spaces like this and our everyday lives. We're able to experience God whenever we're in worship or whenever we're hearing somebody speak or whatever, but whenever we're in the queue at Tesco's, like, it's really hard to connect with Jesus there, right? Because this is the space where we connect with God, and that's the place where we just kind of survive, particularly over the course of the next few weeks, right? There's this tendency that we have in our minds to think, well, I'm able to experience God whenever I've got a nice cup of coffee, and it looks like the scene from, like, a Danish like furniture catalogue, and I'm able to open up my scriptures, and it's all very hooga-y, and I'm able to enjoy Jesus' presence. But whenever I'm driving and I'm being cut off by that driver, it's really hard to be able to experience God's presence there, right? You with me? There's something about being able to break down those walls and be able to see that every environment, whether it's here 
whether it's the queue at Tesco, whether it's our Danish furniture catalogue or being cut off by that car, that actually in every space, in every environment, we're able to experience the presence of Jesus. How do we do that? A monk by the name of Brother Lawrence used an expression called practicing the presence of God. This practice allows us to be able to see that every single moment is charged with the opportunity to experience God's presence. And it's also not dependent on our feelings. He says this, the most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company. I love that. Speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons at every moment without limiting the conversation in any way. 1 Thessalonians 5 uses the expression of praying without ceasing, being able to communicate with God in every single moment of our day, whether we're driving, whether we're talking with others, whether we're having lunch, whether we're playing with our children, stacking shells, doing DIY or whatever, we're able to communicate with God, communicate with him, talk with him like we would with our partners or with our friends, or with our family members, just being able to communicate with him, talk with him, and listen to him, asking him really good questions. God, what is it that you're saying? What are you saying about me or the people around me? Just living in this conversational style. Brother Lawrence was a monk, and he wrote a really short reflection called Practicing the Presence of God. It's really simple, and it's really short, and I would recommend that all of you read it. Um, He experienced God the most, not in the chapel, not in the cathedral, not during worship times, but he experienced God more than ever while he was doing the dishes in the kitchen, while he was doing the dishes for the rest of the monks in the monastery. Listen to this extract from Practicing the Presence of God. There alone, having made provision for everything connected with my duties, I spent all of my remaining time in prayer, both before and after work. At the beginning of my duties, I said to God with a son-like trust that is key, communicating with God as a son or as a daughter. My God, since you are with me, and since it is your will that I should apply my mind to these outward things, I pray that you will give me the grace to remain with you and to keep company with you. Lord, work with me. What will it look like to invite God into our work? To see that he is present with us, alongside us. Lord, work with me, receive my work, and possess all of my affections. And so during my work, I continued to speak to him in a familiar way, offering him my little services and asking for his grace. I came to a state in which it would be as difficult for me to not think of God as it had been difficult to accustom myself to thinking of him at the beginning. As we practice the presence of God, it becomes difficult for us to not think of him. This is what it's all about. Praying without ceasing, having a conversation, keeping company, seeing every moment as an opportunity for us to commune with God. Now, it's called practice the presence of God for a reason. It takes practice. It takes some time to be able to work this muscle. But I would encourage you, as you are here right now, as you drive home, as you spend time around your dinner table, as you spend time with your family, probably watching Dynasties later, I don't know what's going to happen with Richard or David Attenborough this week, as you are just enjoying some time with your family later, as you wake up in the morning, as you drive to work, what about just interrupting these moments with times of prayer, of talking with Jesus? It doesn't need to be huge 
liturgical, holy sort of prayers. It just needs to be simple conversation, like you would talk with a friend. What would that look like for us to be able to see that every moment is an opportunity to commune with Jesus? Secondly, we need to allow our minds to become dwelling places for God. As we live in the time that we live in, full of fear, full of anxieties, full of uncertainties, they can fill our minds and actually twist and distort our way of thinking. We as followers of Jesus have been invited into something which is known as the renewal of our minds, Romans chapter 8. Setting our minds increasingly on the things of God. Being able to see that in everything Jesus is fully present. And as we set our minds intentionally on the things of God, we can find that these distorted, unhelpful patterns of belief and thought can be crowded out by the goodness and the presence of Jesus. We need to take every single thought captive to be able to see that God is with us. John Ortberg has um, a number of foundational truths that he works through uh, pretty regularly as he practices the presence of God. They're on the screen behind me. God is always present and active in my life, whether or not I see him. Coming to recognize and experience God's presence is learned behavior. I can cultivate it. My task is to meet God in this moment. My desire for God ebbs and flows, but his desire for me is constant. Every aspect of my life, whether it's work, relationship, relationships, hobbies, everyday tasks, is of immense value to God. And no one knows the full extent to which a human being can experience God's presence. Um, if you received the email this morning, the Advent email, you may have noticed that these foundational truths are in there. I would really encourage you to take a screenshot of that email and a couple of times this week, maybe even a couple of times every single day, just review these foundational truths. Truths of the presence of God. Allow your mind to fixate on them. Allow your mind to dwell on them. Allow your mind to be a dwelling place for God. Thirdly, we talked about practicing the presence and allowing our minds to be dwelling places of God. But the best and the clearest way to recognize God's presence is very simply saying yes to him all of the time. For many of us, I know this is our experience like Mary, we hear God say something to us. He seems to invite us into something, but something that just seems impossible, something that is way beyond us. We want to give in to the fears. We want to kind of back off. But as we say yes, full of courage, and it's not screaming, it's more like a whisper, what do we find time after time after time? The presence of Jesus. He just shows up. He shows up in these supernatural yet tangible ways. We get to recognize him amongst us. We see that his presence is greater than our fears. The more that we say yes to him, the more we're going to recognize God at work amongst us. We're going to become more receptive to him and we're going to be able to keep saying yes to him. Recognizing the presence of Jesus in all things, in all aspects of our lives is what we've been invited into. And it creates the conditions in our interior world for peace. I want to land somewhere slightly different, though. And what I find so interesting about this encounter between Mary and Gabriel, and particularly her, particularly her yes, is that her yes 
doesn't just mean that Jesus just instantaneously just arrives on the scene. He doesn't just like show up. As far as we can tell, these words, I am the Lord's servant, let your, will for, or, sorry, let your word for me be fulfilled, means that Mary is saying yes to nausea. She's saying yes to morning sickness. She's saying yes to excitement and anticipation. She's saying yes to an expanding belly. She's saying yes to a kicking baby. She's saying yes to her waters breaking. And she's saying yes to the stillness of a silent night being interrupted by the screams of labor pains. She's saying yes to pregnancy. She's saying yes to the arrival of Emmanuel, but she's also saying yes to the season that is before that. A season that is full of waiting. A season that is full of longing. And even in her waiting, Mary is at peace. I found it really helpful over the, course of pa- over, the course, over the course of the past number of years of following Jesus to consider seasons. Seasons as a metaphor to consider the shape that our lives take. And each of us over the course of our lives will experience the seasons, I believe. Seasons of spring, summer, winter, and autumn. In spring, we get to see the green stems of possibility growing in our lives. There's excitement, there's newness of life, there's new opportunities that we're able to step into. There's summer where we're able to enjoy abundance and fruitfulness. We're able to enjoy a season of celebration. Everything that we do in the kingdom of God just seems to be so fruitful, even though the burden is really, really light and the yoke of Jesus is easy. It just happens around us. There's also seasons of autumn, this deep and rich season, a season of both beauty and also decline a season of maturity, of greater understanding, but also a season of pruning. But then there's also winter. And winter is a little bit like Advent. It's a season of waiting. It's a season of longing. It's a season where there appears to be not an awful lot of growth taking place. Yet whenever you look underneath the surface, you find that there is a deep work taking place where renewal is happening. It's a little bit like pregnancy. Underneath the surface, there is so much happening. Each of you will face times of spring and summer, autumn and winter over the course of your life. For some of you today, you're in the joy of summer. You're loving life. You're enjoying the easiness of Jesus's yoke. You're able to step into it all. There's just fruit just sparking off you and life is great. And yes and amen to that. But some of you are waiting in winter. And it's hard. And you're longing. And you're dying for spring to come quickly. Here's the thing. Whatever season you find yourself in, Jesus is consistently present. He is closer to you than you can ever imagine. There is no season in which Jesus is not fully present. And as we have seen, his presence allows us to say yes to all that he is doing in that particular season. His presence allows us to be at peace exactly where we are. One of the greatest temptations that we as Christians face is this understanding or this wrong way of thinking that if we were in another season of life, I could follow Jesus better. 
it wasn't just waiting in winter. Maybe if I was in summer, things would be so much easier. I'd be able to follow Jesus better. So we just rushed through to the next season. We put our head down and tried to like, make our own momentum to try to get us into the new place. What Jesus is inviting us into is actually we can be fully at peace in the waiting. We can be fully at peace in winter because Jesus is present with us. God works in all seasons. He works slowly. And yet his promise and his presence remains throughout it all. We can be at peace exactly in the season that we find ourselves in. We don't need to rush through. There is no season in which Jesus is not present, even in the winter. Matt and Roy, do you want to come on up? I wanted to talk to you just for a second about um, a winter season in my life three years ago. What happened doesn't really matter. It's not relevant. But I want to just explain what was happening in my life and in my soul. Um, I found myself in a really difficult spot. A lot of the things that I was working towards, a lot of the things that I thought Jesus was inviting me into, um, they just seemed to crumble out of nowhere. It was the hardest time I've ever faced in my life. The season of winter lasted for about 12 months. I had so many questions, anxieties and doubts, and I desperately wanted to rush through to spring. It was hard. It was the hardest season of my life. Before that, I was able to experience the abundance. I was able to be involved in church life and be able to serve. I was able to do things, and there was stuff happening around me, and it was, it was just amazing. And yet all of that just seemed to fall apart out of nowhere. It was completely out of my control. And I just had to dial right the way back. Where there used to be abundance, where there used to be joy, there was now very little going on. If you looked at me, you would think there is no growth, no life, or anything. And in this season, I really struggled to connect with Jesus. I really struggled. I really struggled in spaces like this. I really struggled to sing out loud. I really struggled to pray. Like that kind of conversational prayer thing just wouldn't have happened for me. But there were two things that I did over the course of those 12 months. I read a psalm every single morning. And the second thing I did was I prayed a prayer. Now, I wasn't able to pray the words myself, so I had to use somebody else's prayer. And it was the prayer of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It went like this. Early in the morning, I cry to you, help me to pray and to concentrate my thoughts on you. I cannot do this alone. In me there is darkness, but with you there is light. I am lonely, but you do not leave me. I am feeble in heart, but with you there is help. I am restless, but with you there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there is patience. I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Restore me to liberty and enable me to live now that I may answer before you and before me. Lord, whatever this day may bring, your name be praised. I can pray myself. I had to use somebody else's prayer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer in that prayer uses this expression, I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Even in the depths of my winter, I managed to be able to say yes. Here's the thing. I never want to go back there. It was too hard. Never wish that anybody had to go and face what I had to face. But honestly, I've never felt the presence of Jesus more closely than I did in my winter. 
I'm in summer right now. Like Life is good for Emma and I. Things are great. We are loving life. But honestly, trust me, I felt the presence of Jesus more closely and more tangibly and more real in the depths of my winter than I even feel it right now, even though it's great. There was a deep work that was taking place underneath the surface that allowed me to be able to step into my spring and into my summer. Your season, whatever season you find yourself in, Jesus is present with you. He is among you and within you. And you can say yes to all that Jesus is inviting you into. To draw out all of the richness, all of the fullness, all of the vitality of the season that you find yourself in, even if it looks like drawing it out from the depths of the soil in winter. You have the ability and the space and the capacity to say yes to all that Jesus is inviting you into. You are able to be at peace. I've invited these two guys to play a song for us. A song that speaks of seasons. And I just want to invite you in the next few moments just to sit back and to rest and to listen to these words. They're going to appear on the screen so you can read along with them. But I encourage you not to sing and enjoy the presence of Jesus. Recognize him amongst you. And maybe even allow yourself to say yes to all that he is wanting to do in this season. Like the frost on a rose, winter comes for our souls. Oh, how nature acquaints us. With the nature of patience Like a seed in the snow I've been buried to grow For your promises, loyal From sea to sequoia And I know Though the winter is long, even richer, the harvest it brings. Though my waiting prolongs even greater, you promise for me like a seed. And I believe that my season will come. Oh my 
can see the promise, I can see the future. You're the God of seasons, I'm just in the winter. All I know of harvest is that it's worth my patience. And if you're not done working, God, I'm not done waiting. You can see my promise, even in the winter. Cause you're the God of greatness, even in a manger. All I know of seasons that you take your time you could have saved this in a second instead you send a child though the winter is long even richer the harvest of grace though my waiting prolongs even greater you promise to me like a seed I believe that my season will come When I finally see my dream I believe there's a season to come Like a seed you were sown For the sake of our soul From Bethlehem's soil Grew Calvary Sequoia Let's stand together, shall we? Whatever season of life we find ourselves in We can say yes We can follow Mary, recognizing the presence of Jesus within us, recognizing that we are favored, that there is nowhere that we can go to flee from his presence, that we are able to receive his peace. And as we close this morning, I want us to close by singing this song in response to allow us to open ourselves up to recognize that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is present with us regardless of the season of life that we find ourselves in. I'd love to pray, and then we're going to sing as we close. If you, in this morning, in this moment, in this season, want to say yes again to the Lord and all that he's inviting you into, can I just invite you just to place your hand over your heart, and I'd love to pray for you. Jesus, we say yes to you once again. Whatever season we find ourselves in, we say yes to what you're doing. With boldness and with courage, yet with a whisper, a peaceful whisper, we say yes. Let your word to me be fulfilled. So Lord, come again, we pray, into this season. Allow us to experience and recognize your presence amongst us. And would you grant us your peace, I pray. Come, Holy Spirit.